Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, friends and neighbors. Welcome back to the Bill Press Pod. And let me again wish you lots of good times in 2022. Well, for those of us who love politics, even for us Democrats, it's depressing to see the Republican Party collapse and become instead a Looney Tunes religious cult centered around worship of Donald Trump. You know it's crazy when only one Republican member of Congress, Liz Cheney, agreed to show up for a prayer service in honor of Capitol Hill police officers who put their lives on the line defending the Capitol last January 6. And good for her father, former Vice President Dick Cheney, for coming along with her. But Liz Cheney's not alone. Fortunately, there are a handful, if only a handful, of top Republicans who reject the big lie, who accept Joe Biden as a duly elected president, and who are willing to stand up to Donald Trump and try to get the party back on track. People like Governor Christine Todd Whitman, Bill Kristol, and Charlie Sykes, all of whom we've talked to before on the podcast. But as a leader of that movement to free the Republican Party from Donald Trump, nobody has better credentials than today's guest, Michael Steele. Now a political commentator for MSNBC, Michael formerly served from 2003 to 2007 as Republican Lieutenant Governor of Maryland, and for two years as chair of the Republican National Committee, the first and only African-American to serve in that role. Mr. Chairman, welcome to the Bill Press Pod. Good to talk to you, Michael. Hey, Bill. It's great to be with you, my friend, as always. I uh, discovered something about you and preparing for today's uh, little podcast that you and I uh, share a couple of things. We not only share a love of politics, we are also both former seminarians. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was of the Augustinian variety. What about you? I was an oblate of St. Francis de Sales. Think how much trouble you and I could have stirred up if we had remained in the priesthood. The church (laughs) would not be the same, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Well... it's kind of like when I when I, after I lost the U.S. Senate race in 2006, I I called up Mitch McConnell, who was a, a very strong supporter and advocate for my campaign, and I said to him, I said, you know, you're the luckiest sob on the planet. He said, why is that? I said, because I lost. Because if I'd won, you'd be calling me down to your office every week. Said, because someone please get Senator Steele to calm down and settle down. I think the Pope would probably have the same problem. So I I think he would be after us. That's for sure. So at, at least, I guess, Michael Steele, that means if you get totally frustrated with today's Republican Party, at least you can pr- pray for it. I do. Quite a bit. Yes, I do. It, it, needs, it needs all the prayer it can get because 
uh, in so many ways, Bill, it has it has latched on to um, uh, a, a, an identity, a cultural identity, uh, a political identity that is antithetical to its its core. And it's been very frustrating to watch the party leadership uh, continue to perpetuate that and um, augment. Uh, that in such a way that, you know, a lot of people don't recognize Republicans anymore. Is there even a Republican Party today or is it the Trump Party? It is the Trump Party. It, it is um, a full manifestation of Trumpism, whatever that is, which at its core is literally the personality of one individual. Um, it is there's not philosophically grounded. It is not politically moored. It is not um, uh, ideologically oriented towards anything other than whatever Donald Trump is feeling that day. That's evidenced by the fact that the party has no platform. Uh, it is not laid out to the country what it is for or what it is against in with clarity and um, definition. So, yeah, it makes it hard. You know, of course, then you get the question which I get all the time is, then why the hell are you still a Republican? Yeah, right. And, and, I, and my response is because it pisses them off. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I, along with a few others, uh, want to remain a mirror, to can hold up the mirror, to reflect back to the party exactly what it is it's doing. Um, and how it's behaving and, and trying to not just warn, but reorient its course away from uh, authoritarianism, white nationalism, Trumpism, um, and back towards those Lincoln principles that have defined me as a Republican since 1976. What happened? It wasn't so long ago uh, that Certainly, the Republican Party was a serious, viable political alternative. You led it at one time at the national level. Yeah. Uh, what happened? To, how, what happened, and how fast could it have happened? Well, it's you know that's a very good question, Bill. And, and what I think people should realize is that this was not something that happened in five years or four years under mm-hmm. Trump. This mm-hmm. is something that has been in large measure a work in progress going back to the late 1950s, um, where political calculations and the connection to power began to take root inside the party, a party that was fearful of winning the presidency, of not, excuse me, of not winning the presidency, keeping in mind that Eisenhower was the last Republican president before 1968, and and the Nixonian calculations that were oriented uh, by individuals like um, uh, Goldwater uh, and McCarthy and others who saw political value in pulling disaffected Democrats, particularly in the South. Remember, the way you won the presidency in the, in the, up to that point was going through the South. The South was largely Democratic. It was entirely Democratic. The North was a largely Republican. Uh, and, and to win the South, you, you had to go play there politically. Again, to re- emphasize the point is the reason why Kennedy went to Dallas in that fateful uh, mm-hmm. day in November mm-hmm. was to shore up the Democrats' hold on Texas. Because um, right. there right. was fear that a lot of the the politics was shifting away from the Democrats, uh, particularly around the issue of civil rights. And so, when Goldwater declared at our '64 convention, 
that he was basically rejecting the the cause of civil rights on behalf of Republicans. Uh, that you know that famous line. Uh, what was it? Extremism. Right. Extremism without um, um, is no is no vice. Um, and 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 basically, and and so the reality of the party began to shift. You had the rise of the John Birch Society, the rise of that level of extremism. You had folks inside the party push back against that, just as they push back. You know, Margaret Chase um, pushed back against uh, McCarthyism. Joe McCarthy, right? Yeah, and and so where you where you find the party now um, after Nixon cut his bargain in in the nineteen late nineteen sixty the Southern strategy to win those disaffected white votes once Johnson signed on to the civil rights uh, platform after Nixon's assass- uh, Kennedy's assassination. You saw that that seed germinating more and more, and we find ourselves now here, you know, uh, sixty years later, uh, looking at a party that is now wholesale into that Southern strategy, if you will. And it goes to one of the reasons why I declared I, I gave a speech that I believe was at the National Press Club in two thousand nine um, uh, or early two thousand ten as national chairman, declaring the Southern strategy was over. That the party would no longer embrace this form of of you know of racism and and um, white nationalism um, that we we saw the future in a multi multicultural diverse America uh, for the GOP one that our values and principles would I think be competitive if not embraced um, by a lot of Americans and that has not played out the way I'd hoped it would. Well, Trump. Brought it back for sure. Trump um, was not was shameless, right, in accepting the support of white supremacists. Absolutely, and, and yet the leadership of the party did not stand up to him. You know, I was just thinking this week, uh, Dick Cheney. I thought remarkable gesture to accompany his daughter to the prayer service to pay homage and honor to the Capitol police officers who defended them last January sixth. And only Liz Cheney and Dick Cheney showed up. And Dick Cheney said to Jonathan Carl from ABC News, I'm sure you saw this quote, mm-hmm. I'm deeply disappointed we don't have better leadership in the Republican Party to restore the Constitution. Do you share that feeling? Oh, my gosh. Absolutely, I do. In fact, it has been the 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 essence, the the reason why a lot of what we've seen play out has played out the way it has, because the men uh, and um, women who uh, make up that leadership inside the GOP have full-throatedly capitulated their 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 dignity, their the essence of their leadership, whatever that was up to that point, uh, to Trump, and out of what fear of what concern about what nothing broad and 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 all-embracing as the fate of our nation, the future of democracy, et cetera, but because they don't want Donald Trump to tweet something nasty about them or they don't want this, you know, this small portion of the base to be ticked off at them and they they don't want to be threatened. And they're such snowflakes. They're such, you know, I, I find it ironic that, you know, the party that whines about cancel culture 
uh, plays so heavily in canceling the culture inside of its own party. Witness what they've done to Liz Cheney and and, um, Adam Kinzinger and others who have stood up, how they've gone after Mitt Romney for taking a principled position um, on, on big matters. So that leadership quality for me is core. You can't function as a, as a national party, as a governing authority, if your leaders are a pile of crap. And they are. Witness, I give you Ted Cruz, who, 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 <laughs> yeah. who said the right thing come the, on the heels yeah, right. leading into the anniversary of January 6th. Right. And then went on national television on Fox because Tucker Tuckums Carlson uh, called him out and and just caved, completely caved. Right. Basically, Ted Cruz said, if you're in a Black Lives Matter movement protest and you assault a cop, you're a terrorist. But if you're part of the January 6th crowd and you assault a police officer, you're a patriot. You're right? a patriot. Right. Which is for all of that brain power and education he got at Harvard or wherever the hell he went to school. If I were the university, I was like, dude, just tear up the diploma and please do not associate your name with our institution ever again, because we don't graduate people that stupid. And, and, and so, you know, you can have all the book sense in the world, but as my mama used to say to me, baby, you don't have common sense. You ain't no good to nobody. Is Trump and not? And he's not. Yeah. As a leader yeah. in the party, he's not of any use to anybody except Donald Trump. I mean, this is the man who allowed his wife to be called ugly, his father to be associated with the assassination of President Kennedy, and he doesn't have the you know what to stand up and go, dude, are you kidding me? Shut the hell up. Yeah. No. What does he do? Is he embraces it, Bill? And that is just, again, symptomatic of a deep rot within the, inside the GOP when it comes to the leadership of the party. And I mean, you and I have been around politics a long time. I find it hard to believe that Donald Trump, yeah, he's a former president, but that he's really that powerful. I mean, what's <laughs> not? What can he's, he? What can he do to these guys? Look, what can he do? A, he's sitting on all this cash inside of his inside yeah. of his uh, super PAC, and he's not spending it on any of the candidates he supposedly endorses. Exactly. B, the RNC is paying his <laughs> daggone legal bills. See, when, you know, Glenn Youngkin has shown at a minimum, I can do the Heisman well enough just to avoid having any, you know, conflict with him. So there's no relevance of Donald Trump to the body politic unless you make him relevant. And the reason they continue to do that is because the grift involved for both cash and power is enormous. Mm. And that that's something that I fought inside the RNC to the point where literally within 30 days after I got the RNC, when I cut off a lot of the, the back end money, they came after me. Oh, you know, is the worst chairman ever. ever. We got to get rid of him. And so that's the truth inside the party. The grift for power and money is real. And they will forsake Lincoln, Reagan, their mama, mm-hmm. if they come between them, that power and that money. And Trump is in many ways sort of symbolizes that, that because no matter what he says, how far out there he goes and the minions who follow him 
as long as the money flows and the and and the power is there to be amassed, why should we give up on a good thing? The country be damned. Is there any way you can explain Kevin McCarthy? Um, probably one of, I mean, I would much rather have a a limp noodle as Speaker of the House because then at least I know what I got, right? With, with Kevin, this pretense that there is something there uh, is a joke. One. Two, he has no governing agenda because he has no vision. And because he has no vision, there will be nothing from which he can go to the American people to talk about governing. I keep asking the question, if you think if you said you did not want the country to go down the road that the Republicans had set it on during the term of Donald Trump, why the hell would you then look at reestablishing their power and giving them the power by turning the House back over to them and possibly the Senate in 2022? Because what do you think you're going to get? What do you think Kevin McCarthy is going to do as Speaker of the House, except hold hearings investigating Nancy Pelosi and every Democrat he can, he can think of. What do you think Mitch McConnell's going to... Mitch McConnell, for good, bad, or whatever, has already told you, I'm not passing any of the uh, Biden agenda if, if we have the majority. Whether it's policy, whether it's Supreme Court, judges, nothing's happening. Everything is going to be geared towards 2024. If you don't like what you see happening around the states with the rollback of voting rights and and the roll-up of opportunities for people to access the ballot, the ballot box. What do you think is going to happen in 2023, 2024, going into those elections? So, yeah, um, no, I, I, I think the idea of a Speaker McCarthy is, is not good for the country. Uh, I'd rather see, you know, a Speaker Cheney, <laughs> which I yeah. know probably won't happen. Um, but... Uh, yeah. Are, do you believe Donald Trump is going to run in 2024 or is he just faking it? I think he's doing both. I think he, I think part of him is running and the other part is faking it. Now, why, <laughs> why do I say that? Because that's how Donald Trump approaches everything. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's, he's not in until he is, he's in until he isn't. And you need to understand what that means. And what it means is very simply this. I will manipulate and use the system against itself as long as the system allows me to do that. Meaning, we give a damn. Mm -hmm. We care whether or not he runs. I quite honestly could care less if Donald Trump runs again because I already know where I stand. The moment, the, the minute it gets out that he's seriously thinking about it, I'm on the point to stop it, right? Inside right. the party, outside the party. The worst thing we could ever do is go back to that. Secondly, the worst thing we could do is to nominate someone who is associated with that. So that's that's the you know DeSantis's and the Cruises, the Josh Hollies. Talk about the king of fake. Seriously, <laughs> yeah, right. stop it. Don't don't even don't even think you with your peace power fists up in the air to to insurrectionists. So. For me, it's a very clear delineation. My hope is to bring that clarity to the American people so they will see it as clearly as I do. Make up your own mind. You can mm -hmm. still see something clearly and, and go, well, no, nah, I don't want to do clear. I just want to keep the glasses of fog on. Great. But at least you then can't say I didn't know or I wasn't aware. 
Um, so as long as Donald Trump is out there pretending he's going to run or actually looking to run, there need to be voices in the mix that say, wait a minute, y'all need to understand what's happening here. Well, you certainly are one of the strongest ones, and you've got a platform which you take advantage of. Uh, we've talked on the podcast to Christine Watt, Todd Whitman, uh, also to uh, Charlie Sykes, to Bill Crystal. Uh, are there enough of you? Are you going to be able to bring the party back? I, you know what? I, that's a good question, Bill. I don't even know if it's – is it worth it? <laughs> I mean, seriously, is it worth it? Bring it back to what? Now, look, I, I fashion myself as a Motel 6 Republican, right? Someone's got to keep the lights on, right? So <laughs> okay. we do that. We do that for as long as it is it's feasible and, and tenable to do that, right? You can, you can actually move, you know, I look at it as a form of terraforming. We're going to terraform the party into a better version of itself. But that doesn't mean it will necessarily be GOP. Uh, and, and so, you know, you mentioned two of my friends in the fight for democracy. Um, there are many, many others of us. There are countless of Americans who identify as Republicans, who identify as conservative, whether Democrats or independents or Republicans, um, who I think we can reach the work that, for example, Miles Taylor is doing with the Renew America movement. Um, I'm involved with that, um. a lot of the very, very smart philosophical and legal minds behind protecting this democracy. I'm working with them along with uh, Governor Whitman and Charlie. So there, there's a large and vast network of people out here who are trying to form the intelligence around how we move forward, create the pathways and the lanes to do that, uh, and then reach very, very... Uh, uh, carefully into the voting population of Americans out there and all Americans, quite frankly, whether they vote or not, uh, to, to let them know what's at stake. Part of me, to be honest, Bill, is I'm sick and tired of the coddling. You know, as I was raising my boys, they got to a point, they got to an age, they got to a, a position where I was like, the hell, I'm, I'm, I don't no longer recognize the baby in the kid because your behavior is outlandish enough that you now need to get a spanking. Right. So there, there's a point where I think you get with voters and with citizens out there who, when given the facts, the information, the intelligence, who have all of this, um, where you just like, I'm not accepting your whining anymore, whether it's on COVID and masks and vaccines. I'm not having it because right now you are acting worse than a child. You're being stupid. You're being um, you know, illogical about your health. You're being illogical about the direction of the country and what's happening. And I think you need to, at some point, just be very clarifying and very disciplined in in how you approach that. Um, and you know, I you know, as my friends will say, I tend to bring out more of my Malcolm X than my Martin Luther King when it comes to these <laughs> things. Um, but you know, we're going to be in this all the way to the to the resurrection of you know, whether it's the GOP or some new iteration of the party. Remember, we came out of the Whigs. So right. that doesn't mean so, something better can come out of this. So, M- Michael, you said something really significant to me there. When you started talking about the people you're working with and this movement, you expressed it as a movement to more than just help the Republican Party get back, a movement to protect and save our democracy. I mean, do you really think our democracy today is on the line? Yes, I do. 
Uh, be very frank and honest about it. Absolutely. You look at the response to just the, just commemorating what happened a year ago um, from some Americans. You look at, you know, 70 over 70% of the people in my party believe Joe Biden isn't the legitimately elected president. I mean, where do you think that lives? You leave, leave us. You've got people out there saying they're ready for the next civil war. Really? You're going to for over Donald Trump? Are you high? What what is the problem? What is what is so wrong that Donald Trump gets you to stand up and go after your neighbor, your family, your government? And we witnessed that. That's what that was January 6th where neighbor was going after it wasn't just people coming to the Capitol to, you know, hang Mike Pence. It was what they did to their fellow citizens to get to that point. And, and so we have to be honest about what's in front of us. Call the thing what it is. is what I appreciate, appreciate about what Joe Biden did uh, on the commemoration of January 6th in his speech. He called the thing what it was. He called out the, the essence of it, the perpetrator of it, the person who's continuing to push out the big lie. And that was Donald Trump. And everyone was like, oh, my God, the president. I'm saying, yeah, he did what no other president has ever done regarding his predecessor. But look at what his predecessor is doing. And so you have to at some point acknowledge that and be honest about that. And it's not like we're having a disagreement over whether we raise the, the national debt or how much we pay in taxes or whether we put in place health care or build a road. We're talking about whether or not you get to vote. We're talking about that when you vote, whether or not the Republicans in power accept the outcome of that election. <laughs> yeah. That, so, yeah, there's a lot at stake here. That one phrase, right? You don't just, you can't just love your country when you win. That's it. I thought really spoke. The most important thing he said in the whole thing yep. for me, because yep. you that's how a lot of people look at it. Well, I don't like the outcome, so therefore I, I reject it. Well, there have been a lot of elections that I have not liked the outcome of, but you know what? I got my act together and I pitched around for the next next opportunity and we made the case. You know, how do you how do you think we come back after we took a shellacking in 2006 and and got our behinds kicked in 2008 by Barack Obama to then turn around in less than 18 months and take the house with the largest majority since 1928? How do you think we did that? I didn't go out here and harangue voters and make them fearful of the government and tell them to hate their neighbor and and that, you know, only I can fix it. No, we said we pulled the bootstraps up. We came together. And, yeah, we rallied around the issue of health care and, and had a, a deep policy discussion about that. And people agreed and disagreed. But at the end of the day, I wasn't out here saying, you know, it's the Mexicans' fault. <laughs> <laughs> right you or can. or it's you know it's it's black people who suddenly now are talking about their own history and saying oh well we can't we can't we can't study that i can't teach my sixth grader about racism no that that that's not what the country was about and that's not how you deal with these issues michael Steele is our guest former chair of the republican national committee here on the bill press pod today uh let's take a quick break we got lots more to talk to michael about and we'll do so uh, right on the other side. Hold on to your horses. We'll be right back with Michael Steele. 
And today's podcast is brought to you by the Laborers International Union of North America, or LIUNA, L-I-U-N-A. Over half a million strong, the members of the Laborers Union, under President Terry O'Sullivan, they're the backbone of America's labor movement in the construction industry. They're building infrastructure even before Congress passed the infrastructure bill. They're in the energy field with uh, not only old-fashioned pipelines, but solar panels today and wind turbines, and then the public sector with representing some 70,000 healthcare workers. We salute the members of the Labor's Union, thank them for their good work, and thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pod. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs. A gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. And we're back. Our guest today, former Lieutenant Governor of the State of Maryland, former Chair of the Republican National Committee, and you see him on MSNBC as a uh, political commentator. You will not see Michael Steele uh, as the next Governor of California, uh, of, I'm sorry, of Maryland. <laughs> Because, Michael, you decided after considering it uh, at some length not to run. Why? You know, it was a very hard decision. Uh, it was one that my family and I walked through over the course of the late spring and summer and the fall. And, you know, at the end of the day, you, you, you can't do something like this by yourself. And if your family is not involved in there and they're not a part of it, it's hard to do. You know, yeah, you can go ahead and say, oh, I'm just going to go out and I'm going to run anyway. And I've seen this before where candidates have not had the support of their family and, and they've gone out and tried to do the job and you can't, um, you just can't do it well and you can't be effective in it. And that's, it's, it's a package. And a lot of people lose sight of the fact that families are very much a part of this. Uh, you know, I, I know of too many cases where, and we've seen it where a current elected official or someone who's running decides not to run, uh, because of their family, the first thing people, oh yeah, was yeah, that's just an excuse. It was really because they couldn't win, or there was a political obstacle here, or they found something out. Ninety percent of the times, yeah, it is the family. It is about caring enough for your family to 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 take a pass on on that. And so we did, and 
Um, we did so as a family. It's not foreclosing the future opportunities that may come. But, you know, at this point in our lives as a family, it wasn't something that everybody was on board with. And, you know, I wanted pancakes on the next day. So <laughs> you will continue on MSNBC, correct? Correct. Yeah. Which, which, which is something I wanted to ask you about, which is, and that is the role of the media in this fight to protect our democracy and to make sure our democracy survives, that nobody holds us President Biden said the other day, a dagger to the throat of democracy. Right. What is the role of the media? Uh, does the media have to be, you know, right up front and and take on the big lie? Yes, number one. But it also has to recognize its contribution to it as well. Mm. And that goes back. How do you mean? To, How do you that mean goes that? back to 2015, 2016, mm. when everyone thought the, the the race for the presidency by Donald Trump was a joke that everyone saw the grift of it. Um, you know, I, I've talked with more than one uh, network executive, not just at, you know, in my backyard, but across backyards, local and national, as I traveled around the country, say, yeah, he's good for business. Mm. Well, yeah, he's good for business, but he's bad for the country. <laughs> right. And And so we have to recognize and be honest about the role that was played by all elements, our political establishment, our media establishment, and the citizens in, in, in promoting and, and creating uh, this, this worst of, of Frankenstein monsters politically. And it's, it's refreshing to see people now trying to, trying to back end on that and, and, and clean it up, if you will, by being more diligent and, and seeing the social media platforms who are still rather weak um, in, in this regard, but at least making some attempts to sort of uh, downplay or, or not downplay, but uh, uh, deal with, uh, you know, the perpetuation of lies and, and, and white nationalism, et cetera, on their platforms. Um, but yeah, we, we've got a long way to go and, and we need to recognize that, First Amendment only applies to government, not not to private actors. Um, and be honest about what that means, and and be wise in how we deal with it. But at the same time, recognize how dangerous it is if we just ignore it and use use it at, use the First Amendment as an excuse uh, to to not deal with uh, what I think are are very dangerous behaviors and we rhetoric. Right. Our last guest on the podcast was Robert Costa, who who wrote the book, the yes. new book with uh, Bob Woodward. You know, and at the end of it, um, they say flat out, and talking about Donald Trump, the peril, <laughs> that's the name of the book, right? The peril remains. Uh, it and does. They, and they make no bones about it. They're talking about Donald Trump and his the peril that he represents to democracy. It, it does. And it, it's something, again, we have to be honest about. And, you know, I saw someone today was on Twitter was upset about uh, the president's tweet, uh, former president's tweet about something. And it was it was typical Trump going after a Republican who finally spoke up and said the truth about voting and, and, and the big lie. And the response was, you know, why? Why are you even showing that? You know, if we just ignore you. Well, you can't ignore it. You have to still recognize the thing is in the room. Yeah. And until until you exercise it, I actually was going to tweet out 
uh, America, it's time for a political enema, if not an exorcism. <laughs> One way or the other, we got to clean up some stuff. And, and the reality of it is that rests on us as citizens. Um, at the end of the day, Bill, you can, you know, point your finger at, at institutions and political leadership and media. It's what we're willing to accept as citizens. Is what we're willing to ignore. Is what we're willing to, um, you know, allow to happen in our name. And a lot of the crap that Donald Trump is throwing around in our name, we are responsible for. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, we have to take well, take note of that. On that point, let me wrap with this. So given the, the situation as you describe it, are you hopeful that we'll come out of this okay? Are you confident that uh, we will come together and reject this extremism and that democracy will survive? Honest answer? Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I said that like I'm going to lie to you, but I'm not going to lie to you. But well, I, don't want you I mean, do you want me to be honest? Do you want me to be really honest? <laughs> um, if if I'm honest, I'm like yes. Yeah, and if, if you're I'm really, really honest, I'm like yeah. you're not sure. I'm not yeah. so sure, and I'm not so sure because of what we're already accepting. I mean, the heart we haven't. I mean, we think 2020 was hard. No. 2022 is going to be hard. Yeah. 2024 is going to be harder because you will have had to put in place all of these institutional changes uh, that now, what, what does the country do in 2022 if a Democrat wins a seat for Congress and the Re Republican Board of Elections says, no, he didn't? Right, right. <laughs> what do we do in 2024 if mm -hmm. the Democratic nominee for president wins um, this state wins the state of Georgia, but the new Secretary of State in Georgia, who is a Trump appointee, a Trump appointed sycophant, says, "You know what? We don't think that's right. We're going to send." Well, it. What do you do if that Republican-controlled yeah. Congress that you gave Republicans two years before in 2022 now in 2024 says we're not going to certify the the win of George of, of Joe Biden for second term? What do you do then? So. So I don't think the country's really thinking about that. And the country's not asking itself the question, well, yeah, if these guys get back in power and they start acting up the way they did to keep Donald Trump in power, now that they have the tools and the means to do that, wh how, what do we do with that? So the real answer is, mm, I'm not convinced. Because I think in a lot of ways, Bill, a lot of Americans like where we are. They like this taste of authoritarianism. My response is, so what do you do when they come after you, babe? What do you do? <laughs> yeah. Who do you go to? Because, you know, Michael Steele and, and, and um, you know, Charlie Sykes and, and Governor Whitman, we've been silenced by Trump in his reelection because the whole reelection is going to be about revenge, not governing. So what do you do when, when, when you suddenly say something or accidentally say something that Trump doesn't like and he comes after you and his minions start, start wanting to take, take you out? They want to cancel you. What do you do? Boy, That's boy. what's at stake here. And I think a lot more people are buying into it than not. 
Yeah, Michael, I could not agree more. And there is so much at stake, and I'm worried too, as, as just as you are, uh, which is why we need you to keep out there, Michael Steele, and I'm sure we can count on that as well. Uh, you well, keep up, I, I intend to make good trouble, my friend. You know that. So You keep up the fight from your end. I'll do it from my end. And, uh, <laughs> yes, I was going to say, you do, you do your end too, baby, because we need you. <laughs> All right. Hey, Michael, thanks so much for your time today, and uh, good luck with everything. Thanks, Bill. I appreciate you, man. And that's it for today's podcast with Chairman Michael Steele. We'll be back on Friday with our roundtable. It's going to be a very, very busy week, especially on the issue of voting rights. President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris down in Atlanta uh, talking about voting rights, uh, urging Congress to get busy and pass a voting rights bill, maybe even uh, encouraging Congress to amend or end the filibuster in order to get voting rights passed. So we'll be talking about that and a whole lot more on our Reporters Roundtable on Friday, the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. Meanwhile, take care of yourself, please. COVID is not over. Omicron is very dangerous and very contagious. Be very, very careful. And then come back and see us again on Friday for the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home... Yes, cool. ...or attending one live... You can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply.